With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Blue White Illustrated postgame show live on YouTube, presented by On3. Following the 2022 Outback Bowl, Penn State falls to the Arkansas Razorbacks by a score of 24 to 10. I'm Tom Hannafin, and I am joined by Blue White Illustrated's own film analyst specialist, Thomas Frank Carr. We are going to dive into what was the last game of the season for Penn State football. Thankfully. 2021 2022 hey last game of the year you can't hold anything back now and penn state certainly tried to put a lot of new faces out there because of the myriad of opt-outs uh, a lot of penn state fans understood this was going to be a challenge from the word go um, there were some bright spots and obviously this is a disappointing outcome uh t frank before we really dive into the meat of this what was your overall takeaway from this result uh, you, I don't really have a takeaway from a game where you were missing. Uh, I was talking to Dave Eckert earlier this week. If you count Adisa Isaac and PJ must for the injuries, six of your seven front seven players. So from, I think the general sense of how Penn State performed on the defensive side of the ball, I don't necessarily take anything away from the yardage totals or any of those things. I was looking at the individual players and where they played. Some guys I knew some things about, some guys I learned some things about, so that's what I was focusing on. But the general takeaway was, I think overall this was a sloppy game from Penn State. I, I saw a lot of mental mistakes and a lot of physical mistakes that weren't just Arkansas and what they do. Because Arkansas does, especially on the offensive side of the ball, present some challenges to a front seven that is starting uh, every linebacker in a different position. Three new starters at linebacker, four new starters along the defensive line. That was expected, but there were some offensive mistakes, some sloppy stuff that you get when you're rotating three and four interior players at a time uh, at the guard position. So kind of sloppy, and then the same old Sean Clifford. And that's really why I didn't take anything away from this is Sean Clifford, we'll get into some of the scheme and what Arkansas did in this game versus other games, but... I was surprised by none of this it, because you're playing the same players, you're getting the same Sean Clifford, and you're getting the same result when you have those problems. And we're going to dive into those specifics here. Uh, a reminder of all of you joining us here live that you can hop on the Super Chat and I'll let you know that works. If you're willing to donate to Blue White Illustrated, that means your question is going to move to the top of the queue. So just go ahead and take a look at that over there. Uh, David Gradere has already gotten involved. David, we appreciate you all season long. Thank you, guys. I understand there's a lot of frustration after a game like this. And, uh, you know, T. Frank, you and I texted about this coming into this game is that this can be uh, a glorified scrimmage in a lot of ways considering yeah. the opt-outs and taking a look at David's uh, point here, I guess less of a question, more of a point. Yursich had a month to come up with the same plan he ran all year. Sean running has never worked. He's awful under pressure. Program doesn't move forward with him under center seven and five with him, seven and five without move on. So let's, with that, go into Sean Clifford. He yeah. was 
very inaccurate for most of the day. Um, one of the things that um, on my podcast with former Penn State quarterback Matt McGloin called Pay Dirt as a part of the Believe Podcast Network, um, Matt McGloin was talking about this is this can be a statement game for Sean Clifford as a message to guys like Christian Veyu, uh, incoming Drew Alar and Bo Perbula that this is my job in 2022. What message did he actually send? Uh, the only one he can send. That's I and, and I, I people keep asking me, what's wrong with Sean Clifford? Why does X happen? Why does Y happen? What is it? He's been the same guy to varying degrees for three years now, uh, and then you just have a different supporting cast around him. So if you if you rewind to 2019, issues that I had with Sean Clifford when I watched this film, pocket presence was not good. He would drift into pressure, and when he got into pressure, he would throw balls off his back foot, he would not have proper mechanics, and he would panic. There would be panic moments. 2020 was an unraveling because all of those situations were exacerbated because of the situation of the new offense, everything we've talked about all season long. And in this game, with uh, without Rasheed Walker at left tackle, but with what you did on the interior because they were rotating Anthony Wigan, they had Mike Miranda at right guard, you brought in uh, Landon Tengwall as well, blitz pickup and uh, stunt pickup and pressure were a problem. So if you get pressure on Sean Clifford, he does not make accurate throws and he does not make great decisions with the football. So that's what we saw today. That's all it was. Arkansas, which plays three safeties, and you heard them talk about it on uh, the broadcast several times, they want to play coverage. They'll rush just three. But in this game, against Sean Clifford, everyone knows how to beat Sean Clifford. Get pressure, and when you're playing young guys and you're rotating players and you've got some mental mistakes, there was one play where I don't really know what the protection call was because they did this. Three three rushers, everyone crashes to the center, essentially. Everyone's blocking down instead of one way or the other. And you get a free rusher with three defensive linemen. So that's what the day was. And and Arkansas was able to stymie Penn State's attack. Thought Sean Clifford was looking downfield too much. There were too many downfield things and not enough underneath stuff to help mitigate the pressure. A lot of questions coming into the game. Specifically, you know, we, I mentioned opt-outs, and it was much bigger of a deal on the defensive side of the ball because obviously five defensive starters opted out. On the offensive side of the ball, you lose wide receiver Jahan Dotson, the focal point of the offense. So one of the big questions coming in was, how is Penn State going to score points? Um, David is again back here in the Super Chat. Thank you so much for donating your money, David. Uh, sorry, Nate, Dave, et cetera, but PSU is not better off with Sean back next year, period, end of story. Um, listen, and, and obviously that's the opinion of a lot of people at this point, and there's going to be plenty of competition. Uh, and it's something, again, I was just referencing it, is that Matt McGloin made a very good point is that a, I completely agree that Sean Clifford has put in enough time that he earned the opportunity to call his shot, whether or not he was coming back to Penn State, and that he would be coming back as the starter. I, I think that's easy to look at the situation and be like, yes, he has earned the opportunity to do that and have that conversation with the coaching staff. However, there is very little that was put on tape today that actually proves that he should be the guy and that guys like Veyu and Alar are not going to be right on his heels. 14 of 32, less than 200 yards passing, the leading rusher, which is also really disturbing. Again, this has been symptomatic for the entire season for Penn State. No rushing attack from its conventional ball carriers. Uh, I, I would disagree with that. I thought this was one of the best days rushing for Penn State's offense. You had five, 10 yes. total carries, 10 total carries from uh, Kevon Lee and Noah Kane. So five apiece. 
They averaged 8.2 and 5, 5.6 yards per carry each. They got Fair. explosive runs. They got uh, a run of 25 and a run of 16. That's better than they've had all season long. But Sean Clifford kept kept the ball. And part of it, again, is the schematic elements of what Arkansas does. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and it kind of forces you into the situations where you need an extra blocker. You want to get to the outside. You use your running back as a blocker. And then Sean Clifford's not a runner. He's just not a between-the-tackles runner. He's not that sort of dude. He is a selective, you have to threaten them with a passing game and a traditional running Mm -hmm. game, and he takes advantage of it two or three times a game where he can get uh, just a straight shot. They don't have that against good, fast-flowing linebackers. That was the matchup, and Penn State lost that matchup. And the one thing that T. Frank was going to be obvious coming into this game was uh, that issue of protection, whether it be in, uh, you know, actually getting some run blocking or getting some pass protection. Um, There are two specific offensive linemen that I know you want to highlight that got some opportunities today. And it was something you and I talked about before we got on this show is that, man, this was a game, especially on the defensive side of the ball, we saw a lot of freshmen and redshirt freshmen getting in the game. Uh, But Fashanu and Tangwall certainly saw a considerable amount of opportunities. And uh, Stephen, thank you very much just for contributing. I saw your comment there that you're just doing it as appreciation. So we're appreciative of you. I was Um, looking for it and I couldn't find it, Stephen. He's one of our, he's one of our regulars. So thanks a lot, man. Always appreciate it. it. But uh, so T Frank, the offensive line, uh, what did you see out of those two uh, newer faces, I guess, along the offensive line? Uh, So the first thing I want to set this up by when we've talked to players and coaches about Who aren't we seeing that is getting better behind the scenes? The one name that constantly came up, and yes, Landon Tangwall is a very highly regarded, highly rated freshman, and he's the guy that I was interested in all season long, but we kept hearing Olufashunu, and that was the name that came up from the preseason all the way to Bowl Media Day when I talked to Caden Wallace for a good bit, and he was just explaining why he was good, what he thought of him as a football player, and I was tired of hearing it, so I wanted to see it because we've been told how athletic he was, how good he is at picking up techniques. And uh, it was true, uh, you know, not to say that I didn't believe them, but just kind of what is your you're going to bat for your guy and what is, uh, you know, tr- real and what is true. This Arkansas defense did not have anybody that was going to threaten him athletically as an edge rusher. So that needs to be in perspective of their lining up either head up on him or just shaded outside. So there's no Aiden Hutchinson in this game. But he was athletic to the edge. He got his guy. Uh, even on times where they were sending five, he's picking up the right guy. If you if there's an overload, there's nothing you can do as a, as a tackle sometimes. It's going to look like you're giving up pressure. He picked up the right guy. He left the outside man, which is the quarterback's responsibility at that point. Uh, he picked up some blitzes and some stunts. He was on balance. I really liked what I saw from him. I'm going to go back and do a deeper dive on some of his run plays, but I thought he got pushed there. So big, physical, athletic left tackle. Uh, again, Rasheed Walker's coming back next year, so I don't know how it shakes out, but they do have a guy there. Uh, they do have a guy in Olafashunu. And then Landon Tengwall, I thought his future was always at guard. And I, I was hoping for his sake, from what I saw of him in high school, that he's going to get that opportunity. He reminds me of a situation like Ryan Bates, who had to kick out to left tackle, but plays on the interior in the NFL for the Buffalo Bills. That is where he needs to be. And you had, at one point, him next to Ola Fashunu. I think that should be the future of your left side. He looks great pulling. He's a great pass protector. When he gets his hands on guys, it's over. But there were some mental mistakes. 
uh, the interception in the in the end zone, you have two linebackers mugging the A gap. He's got to be aware of that, and either the running back, but there was at that point the running back was in motion. He's got to pick up that interior pressure. But he went to the big instead of the linebacker. Free rush. Quarterback makes a bad decision after that, so it starts with the pressure. So there are a couple situations like that. But he's a smart kid. Uh, he's going to get better. And he played, I think, two different positions in this game, making it, I think, three or four so far this season. So he's had a lot on his plate. I thought it was good, but some um, some more warts showed up in his game in this particular contest as opposed to the previous two. So follow-up to that, in 2022, just speculating ahead, should Penn State fans expect their running game to be vastly different, regardless of who the ball carrier is? Uh, well, the ball carrier might be Nick Singleton, so that does have a big effect on that. So there were some situations where you had uh, where you had Keevon Lee. I didn't know if he was making the right decision when it came to where he was cutting and where he was reading the zones in the zone running attack. Um, it should be better, but Juice Scruggs struggled again, even at center. So it just you sounded like you really believe that. Yeah, <laughs> it just you. Ah. So if Tangwall takes a step forward and in, in, in inside zone blocking, so let me just explain this. When you are inside zone blocking, there's a lot of combo blocks. It looks a lot like old school man blocking. Two guys pushing a defensive tackle down the field. So that's the initial thrust of it. If Tangwall is able to combo block with Scruggs and they find somebody else to play that right guard position, then yes. But if it's still another guy who doesn't have the sand in his pants on the other side of the line of scrimmage, then they're going to still continue to effectively run the ball continuously. There are very few elite offensive lines from left to right. They just need to get more guys being difference makers and blowing up big holes. Tangwall has that ability. It can be better. It just depends on where it is and how the system works. So that's the story with the running game. The passing game, regardless of what's happening with the guy actually throwing the pigskin, uh, there should be a lot of positivity for people that I, I really didn't understand the folks that were doubting the playmaking ability of Parker Washington. Uh, Jahan yep. Dotson, of course, opted out before this game and is going on to what we hope is a fantastic career in the NFL. Best of luck to Jahan. There were a lot of Penn State fans I saw that were saying, oh, Parker Washington might just be a possession receiver, a slot receiver. And today he absolutely went off and picked up right where Dotson left off, seven catches for 98 yards, literally was filling the exact same role that Jahan was doing. And right it down seems, to the insane throw, the insane catches. Yes, and it's it was seamless, T. Frank. And then Keandre Lambert-Smith, you would have loved to have seen a few more catches, but three for 74 and a touchdown. It was a challenge to him, I think, especially with the news about Mitchell Tinsley transferring in from Western Kentucky. It's like there's going to be some competition. There's going to be some depth in this wide yep. receiver core. What did you think specifically from the wide receivers? I do want to get to the tight ends. Uh, they were good. Uh, Parker Washington, everything you just said is absolutely right. Uh, and I was one of those people after watching Mitchell Tinsley's film going, OK, there's your X. There's your boundary. But that doesn't have to mean number one receiver. The combination of those two next year is going to be very potent after the catch. They're both physical players. Uh, it's just that Tinsley has size and Parker Washington is the slot player. It is harder in a short to intermediate role, and that's what uh, Parker Washington fills for this team. He's the chain mover. There aren't as many opportunities uh, to make big plays. But I, I think he showed he's got the speed to do it on the first catch he made of the day. And I think it looked like cover two where he got down behind the, the the defensive back and in between the corner. Great play by him. 
some of the stuff he does after the catch when when he's uh, when he's got the ball in his hands. I wanted to see him break more tackles, and after he broke those tackles, get more yards, just get upfield. And he had the opportunity to do that with some of those primary targets that uh, that Jahan Dotson was getting. And I thought he was effective. And next year, that is going to be a great combination. And as I said previously here on our Blue White Illustrated YouTube channel in my scouting report at Tinsley, now what you have is you have condensed Malik Mega and Keandre Lambert-Smith into one position, essentially. Because Tinsley, you know he's good. I've, I've seen it on film. I know what he can do. Parker Washington, that's a legitimate one-two punch. Now you don't have to worry. You've got three or four guys filling that third receiver role. And if you throw in the tight ends, it's even deeper. So the quarterback is going to have to play better because there are elite weapons potentially coming in next season. Now, uh, the weapons, uh, let's talk about the tight end position. Uh, it was something that Matt McGloin discussed on our podcast, Pater, saying that he expected and hoped that the tight ends would have a big role today. And I frankly very much agreed with him. And ultimately, they yielded two receptions on the day. Now, granted, let's not make too many uh, accusations towards them. There were some really inaccurate balls thrown yeah. uh, by Sean Clifford. Uh, Brenton Strange, especially, was wide open for a touchdown and got completely overthrown. Yep. Uh, when you saw the performance of the tight ends today, do you put it on the players or do you put it on the scheme? So it, they really were not involved a lot because the quarterback was running and yeah. uh, and they were targeting the receivers in this game. And a lot of times, just to be honest, there was nobody targeted because Clifford was looking downfield into an umbrella coverage trying to hit a deep shot that wasn't there. Now, when I'll go, I'll go back and I'll watch the film and I'll see more of what was actually happening off screen, you know, in the coverage schemes to give a, to get a better sense of that. But just based on what we were watching on TV, it, I don't know how you can be super effective when that's the offense you're working in. Uh, I also want to point out that I thought Brenton Strange had a good route. And if the ball's thrown upfield and isn't underthrown and thrown behind, uh, then he would have had an opportunity to make a big play on a nice, uh, nice flag route uh, on the interception, the first interception that Sean Clifford threw that was low and behind. And that was a big part of the game today was not only pressure, but Penn State's response to it. And that particular play, I think, encapsulates a, a lot of the problems because it was a designed rollout to the right. Caden Wallace gets pushed four or five yards into the backfield, and that makes Sean Clifford bubble over top of him. They get a free rusher at the quarterback because of that action. Everything's late. Clifford's throwing off his back foot sideways, falling away, doing his Kobe, and it's just he's, he can't do that. That is not his game. He's not good at those things. So that creates the turnover. That creates the interception, the bad play. That happened a bunch today because Penn State was trying to get to the perimeter. They're trying to roll the pocket, and, and Arkansas was just better in those situations. So that was another frustration for the Penn State offense. And I don't know you can put any of that on the receivers. The tight ends, I thought, blocked okay in the run game. There were a couple plays that come to mind as far as Tyler Warren and Theo Johnson where they were responsible for a good wrinkle that then broke Kevon Lee for a 24-yard run. So without going into the details, they weren't outstanding in any one situation, but I don't think they were hurting the team today. And uh, you talk about the details of a game like this. Uh, again, this is not Penn State with its full complement of weapons on offense or defense for the 2021 season. And, and the same could be said for Arkansas. This is very much a in-the-moment type of analysis and then more projecting towards the future. And I, I do want to keep it on the offensive side of the ball for uh, one more question here, T. Frank, because it, it mostly has to do with uh, game management. 
And this has been brought up many, many times before. And in the first half, I think we all know exactly what I'm talking about. Yeah. I believe it was a fourth and 13, what looked like a long field goal attempt. Yep. And they bring in uh, Jordan Stout as opposed to Jake Pinnegar, who absolutely shanked a kick earlier on in the game. Um, I frankly was genuinely surprised to see Pinnegar in the game, but like encouraged when I first saw him. And then when he missed, it was like, what, what is going on? The fake field goal attempt to set up for a pass on fourth and 13 and then you give the ball back to Arkansas with 45 seconds on the clock with the ball roughly around the 40 yard line of yep. Arkansas if I recall yes um the play design appeared flawed from the beginning Arkansas looked like they were like yep they're probably going for it and seemed to have every preparation in place and then Jordan Stout throws the ball into coverage as opposed to punting it away yeah I'll, this is virtually the same question I just asked, but it's slightly different. Is this a scheme issue in terms of the play design, or did the player, Jordan Stout, make a really bad decision? Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, I actually thought that Jordan Stout, given the situation, made a good decision where even if he didn't intend to, he put the ball in the air where a defensive back's natural instinct is to catch it. So there, you could not have a better punt than if you throw the ball directly to them uh, at you know, a certain part of the field. Mm. I don't think that's what he was doing. It looked like there was somebody that was on the other side of the field, way on the outside, and he was trying to heave it as a non-quarterback. So I don't want to give him that credit, but I also want to say that that almost worked out for Penn State. Uh, when it comes to the scheme and the situation, I won't pretend to be an expert on special teams when it comes to the decision to go for it and to, and to do the fake punt. I don't care. I don't mind it. I mean, it's it's a bowl game. What you said, leave everything out on the field. And I understand that maybe you want a different play, and maybe you, even if it's a, a fake, you want it out of a I don't know formation you've run before. They were hoping, clearly, by the situation and the formation, to confuse Arkansas because they'd never, as far as I've seen, they've never lined up in that particular situation. They've never lined up in that alignment. So they were trying to help for confusion. It's coming after a timeout and a field goal and switching and a bunch of other milling about. So you're clearly cueing them in that you're considering going for it or faking something. So the execution of the decision, not great. And, you know, I'll give you that. I felt like in general, this was a rather sloppy game from Penn State where it didn't seem like they were executing at a high level in any phase of the game. The, the you wish you could blame it on entirely a circumstance of, well, it's the last game of the year, it's a bowl game, and you got to make some risky decisions. This has been symptomatic of this entire season. This has yeah. been symptomatic of much of uh, James Franklin's regime, let's be entirely honest. So, can, I, can I give you a theory as to what I think about please. this? Please, I am all ears for theories. <laughs> so, so I get the sense that James Franklin wants to be aggressive. He wants to be that guy. He wants to be the one who's going for it and forcing the action and dictating the action. The problem is, I think deep down, like every other coach, he's rather conservative in his nature. So it's always 
awkward. It's like squares coming out of your mouth when you're trying to talk and everything just is jumbled. So it's not, it doesn't seem like it's totally in his nature and therefore some of the decisions feel forced. Even though I think they're well thought out, I think they're rational. And when he explains them, I'm on board. You know, from how I view football, what I think you should do, I agree with all of those things. I just think when it comes down to the way... If you look at the way the teams are designed, where the defense is bend but don't break, you've got heavy screen game, you've got, even with the explosive plays, some rather conservative elements in the offense. And I think this is general of most coaches, by the way, that most coaches don't want to do those things, but they feel like they should or they feel like they've learned enough that they, they want to incorporate that aggressiveness into their style. And I just think that it, it feels a little forced from James from time to time. I would agree with that. Uh, we'll leave that uh, there because I don't know how much more there is to be said on that that we haven't already <laughs> said this season. Yeah. Let's be very honest. We've seen this story before. Um, you mentioned the defense. Let's turn our attention there. Um, if you were watching this game, you needed to have your roster handy because there are a lot of players that you may not have seen uh, before entirely actually step on the field for Penn State or you may have only seen sparingly. Um, a lot of freshmen, a lot of redshirt freshmen, especially along the defensive line and the linebacker core. Um, who really jumped out to you that you're like, there's a lot of positivity for this kid going into 2022? Uh, the, the guy that I've loved since the beginning, since I saw his film, Jordan Vandenberg. Uh, he's just awesome to watch. He's fun to watch because he's so active. He's so strong and he's this thick stout kid. And you see a lot of guys that walk out and they look, you know, fit and lean. And then they look a little light in the pants, right? I'm thinking of specifically of Kaziah Izzard, where Izzard has that athleticism. He can be a difference maker, but he he needs to add more weight. He's not naturally the strongest guy in the world. Vandenberg is a fire hydrant that's 6'3". So just he's got short arms, but everything about him is great otherwise. And he was active. I thought he played with his eyes well, where he he wasn't over pursuing. He was keeping Jefferson in the pocket on some stunts where he wasn't selling out to go get the quarterback. And then in the run game, he was causing problems by forcing uh, cutbacks. He was forcing some uh, action along the defensive line. I think he's got a really positive future. So he, that's where I want to start. There's a couple of guys, though, that I thought did well. Zariah Fisher surprised me a couple times. Uh, especially as a run defender, he's going to be Nick Tarburton. Like the final form, the final evolution of him is going to be a Nick Tarburton type. And I don't know that that helps the pass rush, but maybe that's where you see guys in the portal this offseason or even, uh, you know, some of the freshmen coming in and deny Dennis Sutton. So I, I was encouraged wa watching those players develop because I was unsure about Zariah Fisher as another linebacker transitioning to defensive end because when I saw his high school film his best strength was he was great in coverage and could find the ball but he's just so slow and he was 250 in high school he's really developed into a good run defender as a as a defensive end he'll be in the mix uh there on the uh next season I'm gonna pump the brakes though on Smith Vilbert I know he had two sacks one of them was a coverage sack the other again I think was a coverage sack where he was pursuing it was a good rush but it was not an Arnold Ebikidi sort of amazing technical bend to the quarterback. Seems yes. a little stiff. I want to see a little more physical development for him before I'm going to say that he's turned the corner, the lights turned on for him. In regards to linebackers, uh, Jesse Lucetta was all over the field in the first half, very yep. quiet in the second half, and it just seemed like the way that Arkansas finally got their play calling organized, they were running the ball very well in the first quarter, second quarter they got away from it, third, yep. uh, I'm sorry, the second half, 
It was just the KJ Jefferson show. And that was a very smart decision on Sam Pittman and company's part yep. because there's virtually no answer when you have a quarterback like that. It, it just defensive scheme. There's very few ways to stop that. It's reminiscent of the Cam Newton offense from Auburn from years ago when a guy is yeah. that big, that athletic, and also can make you respect the past. It's yep. virtually impossible to stop. Um, that being said, Curtis Jacobs and Jesse Lucetta appear to have done everything that they possibly could trying to spy Jefferson. Um, but we also saw Catchier. We also saw Elsden, guys who've gotten kind of mop-up duty experience this year. Do you feel good about what they did today going into 2022? Pass. <laughs> no, <laughs> not really. Uh, so okay. Tyler Elsden. Uh, I, I made the joke on Twitter. I, I feel like you need to put him in the oven for another 15 minutes. I don't think he's quite done yet because I see what I want out of him as that downhill. He's got to be an Ellis Brooks type. The problem is Ellis Brooks for his, I think, lack of high end speed, which makes people overlook him. He's a gifted athlete as far as his agility, his quickness, that that snap, that fluidity to change directions and be at the ball. Elsden doesn't really have that, so he's trying to play with brute physicality, and he's just not quite big enough or strong enough yet to do that. And there were times that when the when the defensive line gave up the double teams and got and and Lyman got to the second level, he was pushed five six yards down the field. Uh, I also don't know that he played well through contact because if he's going to be a contact player, he's got to be physically violent at the point of attack to shock the lineman and get his shoulder to the proper side and get into his gap. I did not see that from him. And that's what I said coming into this game is Ellis Brooks was making up for a lot of mistakes up front because the young defensive tackles, Keziah Izzard, Devon Ellis, they tend to get reach blocked a lot where you have a center or a guard coming across their face to the front side of the play where you're trying to run the football and they get behind the play. That's the design of zone running. That's the point of it. And they just get reached. And, and for Izzard in particular, as a guy who's supposed to be explosive and quick, that's a problem for me going forward as far as his integration up front. He's got to either get quicker or bigger or something because the way he played was not consistent enough at the end of the season. But if, when you combine those two things, that's why you had uh, 361 yards rushing today. The defensive tackles were getting reached, and then at the second level, you had linebackers that did not know or were not capable of getting into their gaps. And I put Curtis Jacobs in that situation as well. This was my biggest thing, and I, I don't mean to add two answers into one, but it all ties together. You took Curtis Jacobs from the Sam linebacker position and moved him to the will in the box. Yes. He made a couple of really good plays back to back after Jonathan Sutherland went out of the game because he's playing the position he's played all season. They moved him to the will and he, I don't know. This is what I've been wondering all off season. And I think they're going to move him there next year. He's going to transition into the box and be that Brandon Smith player. He was not ready to do it today. And and that's no it's it's honestly no shame to him. He had three weeks to learn an entirely new position, and it's one against an offensive team like uh, Arkansas that runs a lot of misdirection. They play havoc on the eyes and the keys of the linebacker, and he felt susceptible to it. And so did uh, Jesse Lucetta, who I'm going to say for the thousandth time, he's not a he's not a linebacker. His feet, his eyes, they're all over the place when he's reading run, when he's reading pass. He's better when he just has to defeat a block in front of him and go get the ball carrier. So I think that those were tactical mistakes by Penn State to move those players instead of just playing the young guys, but they did it entirely to preserve the red shirts today of Budden and King, who I didn't see on the defensive side of the ball. Don't know about special teams, but I didn't see them on the field. Uh, we did see, uh, and you talked about uh, Kalen King, um, 
uh, at least in the secondary, there were some new faces, um, but that was one position that you felt pretty confident about coming into this game that it was unfortunate news to hear right before the game started that Tariq Castro-Fields was not going to compete. We knew that Jaquan Brisker had opted out and was not going to be there, but the way that Keaton Ellis, Jonathan Sutherland, when he was able to stay on the field, and especially Tig Brown, Jair Brown, who had two picks and has been Mr. Turnover this season for Penn State, um, it gave you a lot of positivity, but again, it was just not enough. Um, the one concern I had, especially coming into this game, when you lose names like Brisker and Tariq Castro-Fields, is tackling in space, tackling mm-hmm. along the offensive, uh, along the line of scrimmage. That appeared to be a real issue uh, in this game, and it was really evident in the first quarter and in the second half. Because to the point that you talked about with misdirection, Arkansas was like, "We will just get to the edge if you are going to try and clog up the middle." Yep. And it was just a matter of winning those one-on-one battles, and you saw a lot of arm tackles. So. Do you feel like this unit is going to be able to get it together for 2022, like the secondary again being the strength of this defense? They don't have to play KJ Jefferson again. So that part Thank is God. good. <laughs> so, but he's, he's, he's a, a problem. Un- he's, he's a, a problem. unique problem, especially on the edge. So there's the one particular play that I'm thinking of where he's got an option pitch and he's coming downhill at I want to say it was Joey Porter Jr. It might have been uh, it might have been Curtis Jacobs. It, somebody was one on one essentially with him, and you've got to respect both the run and the pass. You have to both square him up, and you can't lose contain on that player that he can pitch to in the boundary. So if you don't get a square shot at his thighs, he's gonna run over you. And that was kind of the 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 that was the game right there is he was able to mm-hmm. do that. And then when you when those young linebackers were not in position and their eyes were not right, he came downhill as a runner and and ripped up the interior of the offense. And that was it goes back to um, the fact that you don't have Jaquan Brisker in there because there were a couple times that you had linebackers making mistakes and Jalen Reed is doing his part. He's he. He got his gap. He was on the right side of his offensive lineman, but he's not dipping under, defeating the block, and making a play. He's just doing his job, but it it then exposes the fact that not everybody is doing their job if you don't have any erasers. Penn State lost all of their run game erasers, and as you pointed out, Sam Pittman in the second half said, what are we doing? Just run it. Just run downhill with K.J. Jefferson, who ran the ball 20 times for 110 yards. He's their lead runner. He, he is the engine that makes that whole offense go, and they didn't even need to throw the football today because they there was, no, there was nothing downfield without Traylon Burks. And the challenging thing about evaluating these games, as you know far better than I do, is that these are one-offs. These are very unique circumstances. These are not the teams that were fielded at, on the 1st of September for uh, Arkansas or Penn State. So it is very difficult to really compare who was the better team today? Clearly, the scoreboard told us all we needed to know and that Arkansas yeah. had everything going in their favor. The bigger takeaway from this is what should Penn State fans be feeling about this 2022 team? And also, as you can see by just glancing at the chat right now, there are a lot of people not really thrilled with 10 more years of James Franklin and some yeah. of these choices. How many poor seasons until JF is gone is a question here from John Johnstone. Thank you for donating it to Blue White Illustrated. Um T. Frank, this is the challenge now because these games are not necessarily so much about, oh, did you win this game and did you beat Arkansas? It's more so how are things looking projecting in the next season? So what does your gut feel like? If Sean Clifford's the quarterback, I don't see anything that changes. So I'm going to readdress the question and give you some tangible things that I want to see 
next season from Penn State's offense. I think the defense is in a good position. I saw enough from some young players there, and knowing that next season they're going to have a different cast up front and that they're going to have a better situation because they're going to go find guys in the portal. I think they've got some defensive tackles that that can play well, um, and the secondary is going to be good again. You got Kalen King, who's clearly going to take a step. He looked good even in run defense. I thought he did some good things, although it was really unfortunate that tackle on uh, John, the Johnson kid, that looked really bad where he put his helmet basically through his shin. Yep. That's too bad uh, for the runner. Um, but Joey Porter Jr. is back, Tig Brown. I think you got good safeties with Reed and Keaton Ellis and uh, Tig Brown. I, I like the secondary. The linebackers, that's going to be my biggest question going into next year. Uh, but from the offensive side of the ball, they need to incorporate more of what Mike Yurcich's offense was previously. And this is this is the thing I noticed preseason. I've harped on this for two years now with uh, the last two offensive coordinators. Kirk Chiraka used a lot of outside zone. They didn't use any of it in 2020 because they couldn't install it, because they couldn't pandemic, blah, blah, blah. This year... They tried to run the outside zone in Mike Yersich's offense early in the season, and it didn't work because the running backs didn't know how to run it, and the offensive line was not athletic enough to run it. There are a lot of concepts and there's a lot of schemes that Mike Yersich just can't use because he can't run the football in his base offense. I'm talking three quarters of his rushing attack was inside or outside zone. It was zone-based. It was much closer to a 60-40 split. And that's a big difference. Those percentage points change games and change plays. Now, he tried to incorporate uh, you know, power and gap schemes and do different things, but if you're operating with one hand tied behind your back, you can only do so much as a play caller. They need to incorporate, they need to find the offensive linemen and the running backs that can run that system. And the good thing about uh, Nick Singleton, not to bring him up again, is that in the Exeter Township offense... It's a triple option, but he is the pitch option. So he's used to reading blocks on the perimeter. He's used to reading and cutting and getting upfield and making those decisive plays when you've got to read in space. That's a good thing, and that'll change a lot for Penn State if he's able to get up to speed and play immediately. But the other running backs, when they're on the field, they got to get better at it, and the offensive line has to get better at it. You've got to get guys on the interior that can reach block and do those things that were done to your defense today. How they align, the athleticism of those players, that's going to determine a lot of this. And that's why Landon Tengwall, to me, is so important. He's got the ability to do those things and to make those difference-making blocks that can open up a wide lane and an easy decision for your running back. T. Frank, this feels like an offseason where everybody's feet are going to be to the fire. Now, I'm going to bring up the 2018 infamous post-Ohio State game speech. We've been a good football program. We have been a great football program. We're not an elite football program. I'm going to make sure everybody's very uncomfortable. Personally, the hope of this Penn State fan is that everybody inside Holuba Hall and the Lash Building is extraordinarily uncomfortable going into next season because the competition gets ratcheted up all that more uh, internally. Because this season, uh, if you just even glance at the chat, has been a disappointment to Penn State fans, and especially ending with the 2022 Outbowl, Outback Bowl 24-10 uh, against Arkansas. This is extraordinarily disappointing for a lot of Penn State fans. The hope is that this incoming class of freshmen is a shot in the arm and that there's going to be a lot for Manny Diaz to work with on the defensive side of the ball. And I'll steal a phrase that you said a little bit earlier on. This offense is an opportunity to get back in the oven and 
bake for a little bit longer yeah <laughs> because there are plenty of players in all three phases of the game that clearly need that so let um, me ask you something let, let, yeah. let me let me ask you because you work with uh matt mcgloin you uh have watched sean clifford now for this long do you think penn state is going to get a different outcome next year if he's the starting quarterback and he wins the job and they're playing him under center with whomever is around him on the offensive side? No. Um, I firmly believe that looking at the schedule for next season, uh, I had predicted for this season Penn State to go 8-4 and four in the regular season. Um, I think it's a very similar situation for next season. And, and now that I've seen what has happened in the Outback Bowl, I felt like that might have been uh, far too optimistic. Um, I think Sean Clifford, again, we talked about it earlier on here, and I talk about plenty on the Pater podcast, and I hope all of you guys go and check it out, is that Sean Clifford had a chance to make a statement today to incoming guys like Perbula, to Alar, and then, of course, to Christian Veyu, who's already a part of the team, that this is Sean Clifford's job. He didn't do that. He's been banged up a lot of the season and had a month to get healthy, and he did look healthier today. He looked like the athletic and less limited Sean Clifford that we've seen in the past. However, the decision-making, the inaccuracy continue to be a problem. I agree with what you said earlier on here, T. Frank. I do not believe that this team under Sean Clifford offensively is going to be drastically different. Uh, it just does not seem that they're going to be, even if Nick Singleton does come in and light the world on fire, there's going to be a lot of problems still. The offensive line does not appear to be destined for a huge upgrade. And the receivers have got to make strides, but it's plenty of the people that are already in the building. Tinsley's only going to do so much. So yeah, uh, it's just frustrating, I think, T. Frank. Yeah. And, and, you're, and you're pinning uh, your hopes a lot on a freshman running back in the situation. Of yes, I know it's, it's, it's a, it's a small element, but it's a very important element. Absolutely. And maybe a freshman quarterback. Yeah. And I didn't say which name it was. There are a <laughs> lot of guys I could hop in in that respect. So yeah. um, what has been an extraordinarily frustrating season for Penn State football finally comes to a close. However, I have thoroughly enjoyed this season working with UT Frank, my good friend, ever since we were a part of Penn State's broadcast journalism program. So I'm thrilled we've gotten to do this with Blue White Illustrated and on three for a bunch of games this season. Hopefully we do it throughout the off season and in the next season has been a lot of fun. So thank you all for joining us here in the chat. T Frank, I hope you get some sleep because you deserve <laughs> it. You deserve oh, it. we're, we're in off season. Well, this, this weekend I'll be in full season mode, but after that it's off season mode. So I'll be taking a <laughs> nap soon. Earned it. You've earned it. So again, the final from Raymond James Stadium and Tampa, Florida, Penn State falls to Arkansas by a score of 24 to 10 in the 2022 Outback Ball. Thank you all for joining us. I'm Tom Hannafin from the Pater Podcast. He's T. Frank from Blue White Illustrated, and we'll see you next time. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. <gasps> no, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.